welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And joining me today, my co-host is his first time co-hosting a Buffy episode. He hosts My Bloody Judy, which I am a part of as well. Yeah, Zachary Patton Garcia. I can't believe this is like the first time I'm host co-hosting a, a Slayer Fest episode because we do oh. so much together already. I know. <laughs> it's just it's weird to even think that I haven't done this yet. Zachary and I talk like every day and are planning stuff like every day. So no, no. It, it is weird that this is the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've been on before, though. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we've got a couple guests here today, right? We've got yeah. First Step, pop culture journalist, writer, and uh, she interviewed that one person that one time. Hello, Majalik Roche. Thank you for the introduction. Hi. And then we've got creator of Passion of the Nerd. Hi, I'm Ian. The other Ian, Martin, I guess. <laughs> this is going to get really confusing. <laughs> so I've never done something with someone else named Ian. Have you, Ian? I mean, I've known other Ians, right. but no, I've never uh, worked with anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I once, I, I will, I mean, I know this won't apply to you. I once made out with a guy at a bar just because his name was Ian and I never <laughs> like had the opportunity. Nice. Uh, and I said that to him and he was like, yeah, me neither. And then we made out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, no, yellow. Right. No, I, 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 whatever story I could possibly have after that one is not going to be as good. So I'm just going to bail out. <laughs> uh, so you are both first time guests. I'm very happy to have you both as uh, I love the stuff you both put out, as I told you both before this. Um, Ian, would you like to go first with your Buffy origin? Sure. Um, the Mine's probably uh, one of the ways many people came by the show. I, I had a friend in high school who... I'm as old as Buffy is, so mm. um, I graduated high school the same year Buffy did, and I had a friend in high school who begged me to watch the show, and I embarrassingly thought it sounded like it was not up my alley and didn't. And what got me into it was The Avengers. I went and saw The Avengers and was particularly taken by the volume of surprises that occurred in the writing Okay. Um, it's, it's a bombastic, fun action movie, but if you watch closely there, every little bit, uh, there are so many moments that are turned on their head for, uh, the, the one everyone remembers is Loki yelling, uh, I am a God, you dull creature at Hulk yeah. and Hulk whipping him across the floor like a toy. <laughs> and I wanted to see more of that. And my friend who saw it said, well, you could look into Firefly or you could look into, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's a lot of Buffy, though, so you might want to start with Firefly. And just kind of the time and place I was at, I've a lot of anything sounded good, and so I started binging Buffy. And around the puppet show, I called my friend and said, "What am I? What? What is this? <laughs> what am I watching? This is so campy and weird." He said, "Well, stick with it. Uh, the end of the first season is really good, and then some stuff happens in the second season. Mm -hmm. um, and by uh, the library scene in the Prophecy Girl, uh, the library scene in Prophecy Girl was my first hook of, yeah. oh, this is this is really something." And then School Hard had uh, a lot of fun. And then by Surprise and Innocence, I was hooked. And by Becoming, I was an addict. I I love that, that you came so late into it. And you like have a channel where you review Buffy episodes. I love that, actually. Yeah, I think I was 32, 33 when Avengers came out. So, um, yeah. And my friend who begged me to watch the show when we were in high school 
will not let it go that <laughs> I, I didn't listen to him. I was going to ask if you were still friends and they were like, aha, uh-huh, see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, um, uh, every it, opportunity. It's funny. My, my best friend from high school who I'm still friends with, she's on the podcast a lot. Um, she always says that the way I got her to watch Buffy was I lied and I said, it's leaving Netflix and it wasn't. <laughs> and she had always been like, yeah, I'll watch eventually. And then I was like, you got to, it's leaving. So she watched all of it and then it didn't leave for like a year or two later. And she always says that's how like I tricked her, but then she did really love it. So, you know, it worked out. Um, yeah. Angelique, what's your uh, Buffy origin story? Um, my Buffy origin story actually started uh, with the 1992 film. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to anybody. Um, I am a big, huge fan of vampires. I am a big, 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 huge fan uh, of the original Buffy movie. Yeah, y'all can all, I, you know, I'm one of those people. It's fine. Uh, and, you know, I, I grew up reading like Anne Rice and like reading all of these amazing vampire stories. So for me... When Buff, I actually watched Buffy when it first came out, like actually like appointment watching <laughs> on the TV, watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer because I was like, oh, wait, I love the movie. I'm going to love the show. And I remember watching it and being like, yeah, this is different, but also I love it. Yeah. So much. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I, I graduated a year after Buffy Summers did from high school, if I remember correctly. Um, so I ended up watching Buffy uh, every week um, and eventually went to college. Missed out on the last couple of seasons and like have dug back in now. Um, I did a, a show called Geeksplain on Sci-Fi Wire, which actually got me back into it. Where I, you know, I would take uh, basically I would I would do the Cliff's Notes for any kind of nerdy pop culture thing that people wanted to know about. And I picked up, I picked up Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I was like, well, if I'm going to write the script, I got to go back. I got to go finish watching all of these uh, that I missed when I didn't have cable TV in college. Um, Cause dorm rooms weren't about that. Right. And uh, no, I, I actually really loved um, just the evolution of the show, um, how it went from the big beds, to little beds. And like, it really tried and, you know, people have their favorites and, People have yeah. their not so favorites, uh, but yeah, no. And I ended up, uh, ironically, probably to my detriment, watching Angel before I finished watching Buffy. And so I've kind of just huh. my entire life, Buffy's kind of been in the, been in the wings. That's that's, nice. that's actually kind of interesting that you watched it. So Zachary has not watched all of Angel, right? Ugh, my goodness, <laughs> I am not an Angel fan. <laughs> Um, I, I, I never fell for the love story. Um, I loved it. I loved, you know, the drama of it, but I'm, I've never been an angel fan. So when Ian starts covering angel, I've promised that I'll go through and watch. Cause I used to watch it in the mornings, like before school, it wouldn't, it would be like TNT. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was always like two, three, four episodes, like out of order, you know? So it's, uh, it's interesting, but Angelique, what, what season would you say is your favorite in that you probably relate to most oh man so it's weird it's probably between season three and now that i'm kind of like going back y'all i was sitting there re-watching uh season seven just to prepare for this and i was like man season seven was really good <laughs> wow 
I like because there's just so many layers of dynamics and now just as a writer who like sits down and goes through and is like looking at the beats of each one of the shows like it really does follow this really wonderful cadence and they had it down so well in season seven they just really did you know, I so I know Zachary. You you do love season seven. I love season seven. I love to hear you say that. It makes <laughs> yeah. me really excited because everybody I ever talked to from the Slurpfest nine day, everybody hates it. <laughs> it's, it's a lonely world out here. It's lonely. Oh, so well, you've got a friend. I oh I will say. The argument I always make is kind of what you said, Angelique. They earned that. Like they earned the fact that like. We don't need much character development at this point because we had so many seasons of it. And if you're not jumping, no one was jumping into season seven without having watched previous seasons. Right. So I do feel like a lot like people's anger over like maybe there wasn't enough character development or the characters didn't get their own stories. It's like we earned that we earned a serialized, completely serialized season at this point, I do think. Um, Ian, I got to know, what's your what's your take on season seven? Uh. I like it better than four. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I say that because I think that they're they're actually surprisingly similar. Um, Angelique mentioned the uh, the both people. Uh, I think a lot of times when people think about season four, they think about Adam and the initiative and all of that. But then you go and watch season four, and the first five or six episodes are all phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I love the freshman. I think that fear itself has the perfect combination of their love of metaphor and symbol with the big bad. And it's so funny. And yet the emotions of the characters are so rich. Um, I love living conditions. Um, what's her, uh, her roommate's name is, Kathy. is Kathy. Kathy. I love, I love a good Kathy yeah. or, uh, um, uh, Joyce's friend who made empanadas in season two or season <laughs> three is, um, I just love, um, and then the arc kind of starts to get in the way a little bit and that's yeah. what happens to that season. Mm. And that kind of happens in season seven, um, as well, where mm-hmm. it things sort of, it's sort of a victim of a 22 episode season problem where things kind of feel like they go on and then they go on and they go on. But the first, I don't know, seven, 10 episodes of that season are wonderful. And I love the idea of the, um, the first and, um, and I enjoy Nathan Philly and I, he's a, a bizarre late addition to the season. So um, I think seven holds together uh, a little bit more than four, but you know, my, my favorite seasons are probably, uh, five and six. Oh, six. I love the way you remind people that this is broadcast TV, right? Because yeah. that's the other thing. Um, we're having this yeah. conversation the other day about memory, right? Like we live in a completely different world where now we binge watch this, right? We just say, yes, play next. Well, versus, you know, when we were watching it, and I think this comes from being a person who originally watched the other seasons week to week. And mm. unless you like, were lucky and had TiVo or you were recording it on VHS, like you didn't see it again until iTunes was like, yeah, buy this. Or you bought the whole DVD set if you could afford it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can never remember. I think it's the end of season five, maybe the beginning of season six when I was like, okay, my plan is I set my VCR every single Tuesday. And then I had every single episode on VHS tape and then once FX and TNT started airing them, I would like 
go back and like episodes I didn't have on VHS, I would set my VCR to tape them. Cause like one of those, I can't remember if it was TNT or FX did have a schedule on their website of like what episodes were airing when. So I was able to just like set it for 7am the next day to tape, you know, certain episodes. And that was how I caught up on all the episodes I missed. And I had like, Two drawers full of VHS tapes of Buffy. <laughs> yeah, the, the the length of the the broadcast season is such a double edged sword. Where uh, and it's so bizarre and specific. I think it's very specific to American TV. I, mm-hmm. I'm not certain about that, but the uh, uh, you know OG Star Trek. The first season is like 40 episodes long or 30 episodes long, <laughs> and the the first season of I Love Lucy I think had 50 episodes in it or something Jesus. like that. You know, so uh, the 22 episode season really pr- makes a problem for the arc. I, I, and then there's a one of my favorite jokes in The Good Place is um, they're watching a BBC show and and uh, um, I can't remember uh, Milani. I can't remember uh, the names of all of the characters, but um, uh, she, they're watching a BBC show, and she says it. It went on for thirty years. They made nearly twenty-five episodes. Yeah, oh yeah, because the BBC <laughs> arc structure is so different. You know, three episodes is a season of Sherlock. <laughs> yes. um, but the, the the other side of that is you wouldn't get episodes like Band Candy. You wouldn't get episodes right. like Fear itself. You wouldn't get these. You might not even get once more with feeling these kind of beautiful. Mm. one-off um self-contained episodes that are so memorable that that is that is that line that is a thing i will argue in favor for with buffy because a lot of not all of them but a lot of the like quote-unquote filler episodes are really fucking fantastic right like yeah you know like you mentioned like band candy is that's one of my favorite season three episodes and it has nothing to do with the plot like the like main plot and I, i the episodes i think season three Season two was hit or miss with them, but season three like has some of the best quote unquote filler ones where like where the, the mayor isn't really part of the story in that episode, but like it's still a fantastic episode. Um, and shows kind of had to do that back then, right? Because and like you mentioned, a lots of times it's like, what are we doing? The villain is there. Why isn't in season five? It was nice when Buffy was like, we're going to attack glory like yeah. we have to. Um, and lots of times, even in season five, which is my favorite it gets a little like, well, Glory's still there. Why aren't they like actively doing something? And it's because they needed 22 episodes, right? Yeah. Um, and this season, so we are we are here to discuss uh, season seven, Buffy season seven's potential, which I will say is one of my lesser favorite of the season. Um, really? And, yeah. And so this episode, I do feel a little bit like it has a little bit of that where I'm like, well, they defeated the Turok Han. So what are we, what are we doing? I don't know what like what quite the plan is here. I mean, granted, in a few episodes, we get the reveal that there are a lot more under the Hellmouth. Um, but this is where the season gets a little bit of a slump for me. Zachary, I know you like this episode. I do like this episode. I don't think it's bad. And I think it's 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 structured really well in that, you know, like you, we were talking about filler episodes and stuff. I think because this show was out at a time where that was just the thing you did, that was the norm, the 22 episode season, like they had it down. They knew how to do it. Um, yeah. Whether, you know, you think it was good or not. I think they, they had that sort of formula down. And this is one of those where there is, there's a good bit of character development in this one. And like, we're seeing, you know, what the potentials we're seeing with, with Dawn, um, I think this is a great episode for Dawn, actually, because like so many people shit on Dawn for so long, right? That 
you know, it's great to see these little glimpses of her sort of maturing and she is pretty great in this season. And I think this episode kind of highlights like why she was growing up to be a pretty great person just all all the way around, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do always think season seven does a lot of good Dawn character work. Mm -hmm. Like they definitely were like, okay, let's not have her crying all the time and screaming. We got to like give her more to do. And once they gave her more to do, she was a way better character. Granted, I still defend the screaming and the yelling because I would have been the same way if I were 15 and found out I wasn't real and then my entire family died. (laughs) But (laughs) I think they definitely, because this episode plays both, right? We do get a little bit of Dawn, like she is kind of sad. She is kind of like, well, I'm not important. And then she's like, shit, I might be. Oh, wait, I'm not. But then she's still like, (laughs) if this had been Dawn in season five, there would have, it would have ended with her screaming and crying going up to her room. But instead we got like, she kind of was like, all right, I got to deal with this. And I do appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. What do you what do you guys feel about Dawn? Angelique, uh, Ian, I'd be curious your thoughts on Dawn. You know, honestly, one of the things I really like about this episode, and, and again, I, I hate to sound repetitive, is Dawn, right? I think mm. the cool thing here is that Dawn, who's – and I say this probably because I am a little sister – uh, who's like sisters are like very smart. Like one of my sisters is a doctor and the other one like works for the FBI. So like uh, I, I relate to Dawn. Uh, and you're like, I feel like it's not just Dawn who shines here, but it's also Xander. So mm. I think you get this two minute, this, like, this one episode where the two humans um, mm-hmm. who have nothing special about them, except for they're related to people who are obscenely special um, are you know, showing their importance in this larger supernatural situation. Um, I agree. I think the structure is really, really great. Uh, I love the way they do the split scene with the speech in the back where, you know, they're both fighting vampires at the Mm -hmm. same time. You get the voiceover from Buffy. Um, That seems wonderful. I I was so shocked watching that. I did not remember that scene. It was so good. And I think one of the things that I think is really hard to reconcile with, so I will say it's not all sunshines and roses, is like, yeah, you do have these bunch of girls who all are semi-one-dimensional being motivated and talked to about death the entire time so that they can avoid dying. Um, (laughs) Which (laughs) could, I mean, you know, but I think... Besides the really bad Harry Potter and Dragon Ball Z jokes, which I appreciate, uh, I think it was a really good episode. Uh, Yeah, Ian, what are your thoughts on Dawn? Uh, I'm definitely a Dawn defender. You know, for our community, I think it's it's always – it's really tough not to pair the two shows against each other, and I really try not to do it. That said – uh oh. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I think Dawn feels very of um the first episode that she's in with the ice cream on the face and yada yada yada. You know, I, I think I remember reading that she was originally conceived as twelve. Yeah. And um uh, is either fourteen or sixteen when she's on. But other than a couple of moments where the character catches up to that, she feels very real to me. Um and and her problems to me feel like ones that I can empathize with and identify with that someone of that age range would um, be going through. Uh, so, 
and that honestly, the go to tease, of course, is get out, get out, get out. <laughs> and yeah. and I'm guilty of using it myself, but it it actually it does not bother me. And I think I remember being a teenager too and wanting my parents to get the hell out of my own room. <laughs> so, um, you know, if anything, the the uh, there's a there's a bit on the director's commentary in. Um, I think it's in surprise where they're breaking into the uh, the military base, and Oz is sitting in the car with Willow, and Willow asks Oz if you, uh, you want to make out, and Oz delivers this unbelievably sentimental, sweet, romantic, perfect line. In my fantasy, uh, you're kissing me. It's okay. I can wait. He turns her down, but he does so in a such a um, a romantic, elegant, beautiful way. And it's the moment where the fandom falls in love with him. Yeah. And the scene was written to do that. The fa- Oz was brought on as a potential romantic interest for Willow. The fandom was not really grokking to him. So they decided to write that scene specifically to s- sort of sell the character, sell the, the fandom on Oz. And I think that Dawn maybe needed another couple of those moments where, That's fair, yeah, the fandom had more of a reason to see like she's not just a source for conflict or uh, a source to irritate Buffy. Like Buffy is the, the, the character through which we're supposed to see the show. And so if Buffy's irritated with Dawn all the time, it follows that we're going to be irritated with Dawn. Um, So the, I I think we could have had a few more moments with, uh, with Dawn where we were like the end of this episode with her and Xander. But, um, but as the more I watch the show, and I've watched the show too much, obviously, um, I the more I enjoy the Dawn stories, and and she just feels like a a, a nice addition to the series to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as someone who has also watched Buffy a lot, Zach and I we have a horror podcast, My Bloody Judy, and I don't think there's an episode that goes by where we don't bring up Oh my goodness, Sarah Michelle Gellar <laughs> or Buffy, like. <laughs> We're always like, and anyway, back to our conversation about why Samuel Geller should be more horror. Like that always ends up being <laughs> that so, will be like the hill we die on. Yeah, Ian. So okay, because you were watching as this was airing, and you made it all the way through to season seven and everything. So um, as I was watching it on TV, like again, uh, as we said, kind of before we started recording, is I saw no wrong, right? Like I really mm-hmm. liked Dawn because she was part of the show, and you know, perfect. But you, as somebody who maybe wasn't. Or, you know, the most thrilled about her coming in season five. Was she, had she grown on you by this point by potential? Yeah. Well, so I, I, I say this sometimes <laughs> I remember I did a buffering's live show in Philly and I got booed for saying this because I will, even when I watched, I would always defend all of the characters from mm-hmm. Xander to Riley to Dawn. They were always, I, even though I was <clears throat> older, I still felt the same way you did, Zach. Like, for me, it was like, I love the show, so I love everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, there's characters I loved less, but, like, there wasn't... For me, it was just like, I love the show, so I don't care. I will say, this episode aired on my birthday, and I made all of my friends watch it with me. <laughs> and I do remember being a little bummed. Like, I was like, oh. Because, like, we went from Showtime to, like, the winter break, and then this was the first episode back in that year, and being like, oh. Even I didn't like that episode. Like I was like bummed, even though I didn't hate Dawn, I was mm. bummed that it was like, 
a Dawn episode and didn't have like the action that we had gotten in the previous two episodes, which were like very action fight heavy. And maybe that's uh, just placement, right? But, yeah. but like Dawn's episodes are usually a little quieter in like yeah. they're she's like sitting in a quieter room than everybody else is. Um, just as, 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 as a character goes, uh, but we kind of open this episode with Buffy and Spike training potentials, right? Yeah. And this is sort of the beginning of them training potentials now. Yeah. Also, I want to point out, I'm impressed. This is, I think this is the longest we've gone before we got into the full episode. <laughs> I, know, I, looked, I was like, 24 minutes, we got to go. <laughs> we were talking about the themes, but I will also say I love that you brought that in because for those, obviously, you've already talked about the episode before this. I remember watching the end of that episode and going, wait, is that Buffy? Is Buffy really saving Spike? Is Spike really being saved? Yeah, I don't yeah. know what's happening right now. And like, <laughs> It, that first moment of this episode, I like excel. I didn't realize I was holding my breath, <laughs> but I exhaled and was like, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. It's really Spike. And it was really Buffy. And he's really a good person. Yeah. Vampire. They of, yeah. They kind of portray the relationship a little bit more mature in this episode, like all of a sudden. Right. Like, yeah, it's a mature episode that or a mature relationship that like. I don't. I guess they just slap on and like. Oh, it's always been like this. What are you talking about? I don't. <laughs> that, that is one of the joys of this season. Is you feel the maturity of the relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, first of all, I I watch this in a bubble. I, I'm I, I I don't get. I like. I can't watch the show for fun. <laughs> Because yes, I, I think <laughs> I should open up a script and be writing about this. Oh, I have this idea. I should remember to mention this, whatever. So this was the closest that I get to do that. And I'm currently writing about season five. And so teleporting into the middle of season seven is was kind of fascinating. And um, uh, specifically the... I've always kind of seen the, 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 you know, where she's checking his ribs and they make the jokes about, so we're supposed to make out with them or whatever (laughs) as kind of out of the blue or like, Oh, that's just sort of funny or whatever, but watching it in a bubble and I'm ignoring the history of the characters and all of that, watching it in a bubble. Even I was like, that's kind of that. Was, hmm. I feel it. <laughs> like, let me, let me like, touch your rib spike. Yeah. They had so much. They had so much chemistry. The two of them. Um. The that that just that little jokey whatever bit. Like I don't think they're overplaying it either. Which is why uh, the the jokes from the potentials always felt a little bit strange. But it really hit me in that one. But the other one talking about the mature chemistry of the characters, or rather the mature relationships. One of my favorites is. Uh, Anya and Xander. I actually, Hell's Bells, as torturous as it is, I think feels very real. Xander's uh, uh, carrying the kind of trauma and damage that he would in his life. And being 22 years old or 21 years old, maybe not having worked that out at that point in his life, having a terror of turning into his dad and being abusive and any of that. And um, it's an, it's a painful, tough episode to watch. It's extremely traumatic, but it's sort of leading into season seven and the two he I, that scene between he and Anya, sort of having that, I mean, breakup sex for lack of a better term. The right. sort of revisiting the physical side of their relationship and the two of them realizing it's over in that moment that that it was their opportunity to kind of say goodbye to each other is feels so 
real and adult and mature for you know a show about vampires yeah. you know uh and that's that's definitely one of the joys of to me of season 7 so, uh, i so we get the potentials i kind of like the potentials in this episode cuz i like that they're just kind of making like shitty comments and i you know you you mentioned the like so are we supposed to like make out with him like i actually do like them like being jokey about because while yes i mean buffy and spike they're both hot they got the chemistry um, and when she's on top of him and just like lifts up his shirt, it's like, okay, yeah, keep going. I'm relaxed. Like, Pause for a second. <laughs> right, yeah. Oz hey, is my hey, girl, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I, I don't know. I like the potentials as these like, almost like the the audience or the chorus being like, mm, we see what you're doing here. <laughs> like, yeah. and you know, even when they go into the crypt later, when they're like smiling at each other, when Buffy's like, uh, comfy, and Kennedy's like excuse me, when was a crypt ever comfy to you? And then they like look at each other and like smile. I like that shit. I know people like can't stand the potentials. I don't mind them. Sometimes they are annoying. I don't mind them, especially here. They do mention in this that they're like 15 here, right? Yes. So they're almost yeah. like reflective of Buffy at that age. Like we're getting different sort of characteristics of Buffy at that age, you know, because mm-hmm. these are 15 year old girls who were, you know, being told to go fight vampires. Like, do they even really grasp mortality at that point? Probably not, right. you know? <laughs> That's the exact line I was thinking of as you were talking about them being giddy and all of this innuendo. I love the fact that the writers made a decision yeah. to remind everyone that they're 15 years old. I'm going to tell you, they're not 15 in real life. We all know that. Um, there's, there's no confusion there, but it brings you back into the, it brings you back into the world of what these girls are dealing with. Like even with, you know, the fight and all of the escalation that's happening at the house and like them when basically tear each other apart because you have all of these personalities living this one big house it makes more sense once you're reminded, oh, mm-hmm. right. Oh, they can't, they can't even drive. And that goes yeah. for like all of these characters, right? Like we, like, because this is a TV show, right? They do things where, you know, you want to have a wedding in a TV show at one point or something. I'm surprised nobody got pregnant during the TV show, but like <laughs> they have those like beats of people growing up, but we think about their actual ages in the show. And these were only like, at the oldest 22 year old kids right yeah, like yeah. giles was really the only real grown-up and the but 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 there was so much weight put on all of these characters shoulders and i i really like i, I agree with you angelique i really am glad that the writers put in this like very deliberate underlined 15 years old <laughs> i i mean zachary you're gonna make me cry because that's why buffy's my hero all the time like she carries all this fucking weight and like it's always so corny. I feel like I sound so corny, but like, that's why she's my hero. Cause she does carry all this weight. And like, by the end of the show, she's only 22 and she saved the world like a zillion times. Um, so even post credits, we cut to Buffy here a little bit. I'm like, all right, relax a little bit on the, you're all going to die speeches. <laughs> like that doesn't feel exactly like motivating. Um, I kept going back to, I can't remember who said it in one of the previous season seven episodes. When someone was like, why are they all in the Hellmouth? Shouldn't, like, if they can't fight, like, that doesn't seem like the safest place to go. I get it's because, like, 
of Buffy, but I don't know. Like mm-hmm. half of me is like, well, shouldn't they just leave? Like I don't know. Yeah, safe house. Well, get, I, in the, get in the RV. Right, get yeah. the RV back. <laughs> I think the conceit is that the uh, the Watchers Council has been destroyed at that point. So True. being yeah. with the, the Slayer is the one thing. But I was thinking um, about this while watching the um, graveyard scene. Is I mean, structurally, if every um, when you think about the the allegory that the show was supposed to be, which was the first five seasons are sort of a- adolescence, and uh, the gift is her um, becoming an adult. And then, so the six and seven, I think one of the reasons why I, I enjoy six and seven so much is they are the adult years of the mm-hmm. show where they're yeah. confronting adult issues and paying bills. And, um, you know, six is the existential crisis of, wait, this is what I do with life now, I think is really great. But um, I am almost 40 and still going through that crisis. <laughs> still in season seven, Ian. Or still in season six. It's an ongoing battle against the darkness, but um, (laughs) the potentials are sort of like, obviously like future offspring and kids and trying to impart um, uh, uh, life lessons to your children and listening to her talk about death in the graveyard scene and, and, and all of that, and you're going to die and so forth. I I immediately flashed on prophecy girl and her in the library Mm -hmm. saying, Giles, I'm, I'm 16 years old. I don't want to (laughs) die. Oh yes. And that moment is, her realization of her own mortality and that's the arc of season one is her realizing at some point life ends and she's going to die and accepting that as a part of growing up and so the uh, the 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 chatty stuff in the the speechy uh uh existential captain america speeches that she's giving constantly (laughs) in in season seven do sort of wear on me but through the perspective of a parent trying to tell a kid look this is what life is like i think it's really interesting yeah Yeah. definitely because like again 15 years old they're not thinking of mortality in in a, a realistic way and they're confronted with all this like mystical stuff what does mortality even look like through that lens it's like oh well maybe i'll die but i can come back right like you came back like but that doesn't always happen like buffy's this rare case uh, and she's really i i don't mind speeches like this because she's really trying to drive it in for them i also really love the shot while she's giving the speech with dawn over her shoulder like out of focus on the stairs Yeah. yeah it's like that's the image in my mind for the whole episode yeah. yeah, and yeah. I think that's so intentional, right? Like this mm-hmm. idea of at, at the same time, and this is the way I look at it now. This is clearly not the way I looked at it when I was watching it uh, for the first time. But like I look at it now and I go, oh, she's giving the speech to three different POVs right now. She's giving the speech to the 15-year-olds. She's giving the speech to herself because she's mm-hmm. basically training people who will only become the slayer if she dies. Mm-hmm. And that speech is indirectly up impacting her little sister who is clinging on to every single word because later on it's it's important for later on in the show right like i the, as as you all know like writing you know everything has a purpose and you're like oh no i get why dom was sitting on those stairs now makes perfect <laughs> sense cool yeah. cool cool <laughs> yeah and and you know we even get the like when buffy's 
Well, before that, I do gotta point out, I love the, like, I tweeted this recently and a lot of people were like, oh yeah, I like that too. I love the running gag of Buffy always getting the demon name wrong. And when she's like, uh, the Chaka Khan, and Dawn's like, Turacon. <laughs> like, I do love that. Um, and I like that we, like, keep going with that. From, like, season one to season seven, she's still, like, not paying attention. Um, but we even get, like, she leaves the room, she's like, the beat she le- Buffy leaves the basement on is... You're here because you are the chosen ones. Dawn, you better hurry up and eat something so you're not late for school. Like yeah, that's like right. That's mm. like the episode, right? <laughs> mm. And you know what's so interesting also? I really love that they play with you know the sort of trope that of the sibling being in the like superstar sibling's shadow. But they kind mm. of flip it where like Buffy's not like the she is a golden child, but in this like monster world, but like outside of this monster world, even Amanda says it like everybody thinks she's like a, a violent schizophrenic or something, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, and so it's so weird that Dawn is like feeling like this for her sister. Who's not, you know, even that golden to the rest of the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we cut to Buffy in her office, which I feel like at this point we hadn't seen for a few episodes. Like, oh, we gotta get it. We gotta remind people that she has a job. That weird ass counselor. Um, (laughs) I gotta point out, I, I paused because I was like, oh, there was like a red photo cube. And I was like, oh, I bet that's a photo of Joyce or maybe Buffy with the Scoobies. (laughs) It is a random man with a goatee that she has a photo of on her desk. Oh, what a missed opportunity. It's it's the photo that came with with the frame. It's fine. She's done nothing. It's it's just there so people think that she's... (laughs) Doesn't she feel like that type of person who buys frames and keeps the photo in them? Like if she decorated her own house... Like she would be like, oh, I'll put a, fit- a photo in there later. And yeah, then, like, Joyce put all, framed all the photos, but if it was left yeah. up to Buffy, it's it's got the <laughs> the random family that. <laughs> there's a there, there's a weird the one of the things that that I always think about with the high school going back to high school stuff. Uh, it, it's perfect for the show and for the fiction, but when I was 20, 21 years old. I hated going back and visiting my high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was deeply unnerving. I felt like I hadn't moved on far enough. Like I I I, I hadn't separated myself quite far enough from that identity. There was no nostalgia for me in returning to high school, and I don't know if I'm unique in that. There certainly is now, decades after that. But at that age that I was, kind of at Buffy's. It's funny that her being the school counselor this season to me kind of plays with that idea of the way her being a slayer is also kind of a trap. She, her real life is slaying and this is all sort of, I don't know, I, I, I get weird feelings uh, seeing her back at high school where the show has the show moved on past those first three seasons or are we revisiting or do you know what I mean? It's all sort of tied up in that unease or maybe i'm the only one that feels no i feel that i also think she probably would have fit more as like a substitute teacher than a counselor it's just a counselor so weird that they would like hire her for this um but i get like bringing her back into the high school fold. they had to yeah yeah and it made sense because she doesn't have a college degree so they definitely couldn't bring her back as a teacher that's true yeah um so i mean i feel like somebody sat in the room and went okay what What do we do y'all we (laughs) gotta keep her the hell's mouth. How are we going to do this? Hmm. Okay. 
a yeah. counselor. Cool. And, and I agree. I didn't even go to my 20th high school reunion. I was Me like, y'all can have it. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to. I don't need to go back and see all the renovations we didn't have and all of the nice stuff these new students got that we didn't get. We're cool. I'm great. Um, you don't know doing drama club in the choir room. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do like that we like we do see that she tries, but she's not that great at it. And I, we eventually we get the reveal that Robin would, who's not in this episode, did want to kind of keep an eye on her, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, like retroactively, it makes yeah. more sense. And I guess we couldn't have her have a full-time job because it just would absolutely not be believable that she is slaying all night and patrolling and then goes in at like 7 a.m. to this full-time job. Like yeah. she would fall asleep at work all the time. Um but so we're reintroduced to Amanda, who I do like that the setup had been we saw her and him when Buffy first started as a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, the, this show always did that pretty well, I think, of like, ooh, we're gonna toss in this like minor character and we're gonna bring them back later. So like that way they're like in your memory, you know, mm-hmm. like someone like Jonathan or Harmony in the high school years who like were just kind of side characters, but they were reoccurring side characters who became more important later. I do like when the show does that. Um, I don't feel like a lot of shows did that that often back in the day. Now that's pretty common, but back in the day, I don't know that it was as common to do that. But I do like that even her advice to Amanda, Amanda's like, oh, there's a guy like he's teasing me. I tease him, but we do like each other. And then Buffy just like a hundred percent describes her relationship with Spike. <laughs> Which would be me. <laughs> like, well, you see, what happens when that happens is, and then I'm just like very specific about a relationship I had that does not relate. Yeah, Amanda's great. I yeah. love Amanda. She's my favorite potential, and I could totally see her burning down a gym, school gym. <laughs> you know, like she reminds me a lot of like the people in in school probably talk about her like she's violent or you know never shows up to class or, you know, everything that Buffy was in her high school years. Yeah. No. And I think that actor is, she's really good. She, I mean, uh, we have this, we'll have this talk eventually, but yeah, her and Kennedy are my favorite potentials because I think they are, they have the most personality and they both like, like Amanda clearly is like Kennedy's more the like fighter of like, she's ready to jump in. But Amanda, at least she feels also like a real like nerdy teen girl. That, like, I would have been friends with in high school, you know? It's interesting, because I I hate to say this, uh, and and, and not to be typical, but, like, I look at the potentials, and I agree. I love Kennedy. I think Kennedy is amazing and fun and textured. (laughs) Um, I think Amanda really honestly... Even the remarks about, you mean, just maybe at the band, just maybe just the, <laughs> like, I, I, I like, I'm like, yeah, no, you're the person who watches the show. Like you, you are one of us. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. That's now been given this, like, suddenly you're now part of something bigger than you. But then I look at characters like, um, Rona and I'm like, man, this just miss potential here with this yeah. really dope, very cool. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yep, somebody wasn't writing you. It's cool. It's cool. I'm not hurt at all about you not being because I want to say like I dress like her. Like I, I like literally. I look like oh man, that's my closet you're wearing. Cool, but like, like, and then you see like you have Molly and you like you have Chloe and like, but you, you're right. Like Kennedy and Amanda are truly the two potentials that got personalities yeah 
Yeah, I also I can't believe you said the magic words, Angelique. Everyone hates Kennedy so much, and I will defend her. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. <laughs> I get so mad because I understand she's not Tara, and of course I love Tara more. Amber Benson is a delight, but Great. there, I my defense is there is nothing wrong with like a hot rebound fuck, like. <laughs> It's the end of the world. She's feisty. Everything. Look, here's the thing. At the end of the day, I look at Kennedy and I'm like, oh, so you're the feisty new one that comes in and beats down all the barriers and all the things a person has to get over and sees past what they're projecting. Oh, I mean, like literally in another episode. That happens. Right. Yeah. I won't mention. But uh, I mean, just at this moment and just seeing her just like not being able to stop talking because she clearly has a crush. It's adorable. Yes. Yes. Ah. Angelique, Jesus, I am. (laughs) Calm your ass down. This has been the beat I've been on all season because I always ask everybody because, like, oh boy, anytime I tweet anything with Kennedy, it's like a million replies of like, oh, I fucking hate her. Like she sucks. And I'm like, Kennedy's oh. not fifteen, is she? She's not one no, of the fifteen. Oh, she's definitely not fifteen. They okay. went for they, they later in the season. They go for actual okay. drinks. Like no, okay. no. Yeah, she's, unless, well, hold on. I gotta take it back. I don't know if y'all remember. There used to be teen clubs when we were coming they're up. Dead. Yeah, yeah. And dead. so I don't want to. I don't want to assume that the later, fruity drink with the umbrella <laughs> is actually an alcoholic drink. Later, they do say she's the oldest. I think they refer to her as 19. I um, accept okay. that. I'll accept that. So, and like, <laughs> it, is, it, it is hard to remember that, like, Willow's also probably just 21. Like, she's not that much older than her, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I'll move on. But, yes, I, I'm very happy to hear you say that about Kennedy. Um, I'd date her. What are you talking about? Right, I would right. totally date Kennedy. Same. 100% would have had a crush on her in high school. <laughs> she would have been the like cool queer chick that I had like a weird crush on. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, but I think you're cool. Like, <laughs> um, So Buffy comes back home. Everyone is yelling. I, I do love Andrew. I love that Andrew just yells. Why do we always have to yell? Like he's like, he reminds me also what you said, like Amanda's the audience. Andrew's also like, he becomes the audience in mm-hmm. this. Um, like his character is kind of like that. Like I felt like, oh, that's me. I'm the nerdy, useless gay guy who loves this show, <laughs> who would also be like excited to be in the mix. <laughs> um, Buffy is like completely annoyed with everyone. Willow lets her know that she has news. There's there is a slayer. I can't remember the specific wording. I didn't take a note about it, but like basically they know that it's a, someone who has been living in Sunnydale, right? That's like. Yep. And Buffy says she has to take the girls out training. And Andrew says it would break their little hearts if Buffy didn't. Um, So the Scoobies are like, we got this. You're good. Um, And this is another part where they do hint at the Dawn. Like this, it it feels real where Dawn's like, you have more important things to do. Where it's almost like, all right, relax. But also I do get it. Well, she's also mature about it though. I don't think she's like... Like she's kind of biting back her feelings, right? It's holding mm. them in the back of her throat. But it, it's, you know, she would be feeling like this. She's, she's I feel real bad for Dawn. <laughs> oh, Zach. I know. It makes me sad. Has an imp- <laughs> well, she has an impossible situation, right? Like yeah. she wants to be special, but also she doesn't want her sister to die so she could be special. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and she was also, you know, she 
was baked into this life. This was nothing yeah. that, like, all of these Scoobies chose to go along with this. She was there. Mm-hmm. She was made, like, a couple years ago and put into this life. <laughs> and what else is Dawn going to do? Like, has d- anybody, does Buffy ever tell her, hey, you know, the future is yours. You can go and get whatever job you want. You want me to take you to a career fair? No. She's just kind of like sitting there like, okay, I'll make myself useful and open a, a demonology book. Um, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a, a bit that I always come back to with the show. Like uh, the famous bit that I referenced uh, quite a bit was uh, you have a choice. You don't have a good choice, but you have a choice. Mm-hmm. And so the underlying philosophy of the show is, is kind of about choice and existential thought and uh the way that plays and i love that you said that because i hadn't thought about that the way um the way that that plays in that moment is sort of we don't always get to choose what the world does to us but we get to choose how we react Mm -hmm. to what it does so sure like the circumstances that that people are born into is are, are what they are but the way that we react and the way that we carry it is the choice and um and that's love that's a lovely take on that zach i love that Mm, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we get cut to the kitchen and the girls are playing with the weapons. And so we talked about this a little bit and I wanted to reference this. Like Rona says she likes the feeling of wood in her hands and Kennedy enters and says, mm, can't relate. I will say at the time, I loved that shit. I was yeah. so glad we had like queer folks making queer jokes. But now I'm like, mm, all right. Like, ugh, I don't know. I w- what does everyone feel about like that bit? <laughs> I I think there's so many queer jokes and sexual innuendos in this show that I did not remember. Uh, like rewatching it, I was just like, "Oh man, y'all were always talking about sex." Cool, <laughs> yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, very horny. <laughs> wow. Um, but I also felt like it was equal opportunity, and that was like one of the rare things we got to see. Mm-hmm. On the only, TV, the, the only thing that that the uh, it, that specific joke, I think I, I laughed at the first time. Now feels a little on the wood. Just a bit much. But the only the only thing I struggle with sometimes um, uh, is the coding on the show, mm-hmm. where. Um, you know, Andrew was the villain in the previous season and um, they go to the demon bar in this one. And the line is, so it's a demon bar. It's like a gay bar, but with demons. (laughs) And (laughs) I, you know, for all the things the show did really well, um, it's, I mean, you know, they say progressive is a sliding scale. And so sort of now, um, decades onward we can look at that and go oh okay well that feels like a miss now um and it's tough to to hold those two thoughts in your hands at the same time and go yeah it it was progressive and wonderful for its time and we can look at it now and say well we can do better in the future yeah you know but i don't think one necessarily negates the other as long as you can acknowledge them both you know yeah i think that that's a good point actually yeah because I, I just was excited back then to have, like, because, I mean, right, like, we didn't have shows back then where, like, oh, we could have, like, a few gay characters. We could have, like, yeah. more than one, and, like, they could maybe joke about it, and no one was, like, weird or being, like, like, homophobia didn't play into any of these, like, 
there wasn't a character who like had to be the homophobic character. Like we just like kept moving and I did appreciate yeah. that. And like, I still appreciate that. Like you said, Ian, like I can, that felt weird to say. Uh, no, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> like, my own name to say, I agree. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I can appreciate what it was and be like, we can do better. Yeah. Well, I think it's something interesting and I don't want to bring up the episode because it's a completely different episode, but in the next episode um, where Willow and Kennedy go on their date, which I, I I obviously like this scene a lot. Like there's just one moment she goes, so how long have you been having sex with girls? Like I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that that was that was direct. <clears throat> All right. Uh, wasn't ready for that on broadcast TV. Like, and I just there are just a lot of times where they hit it on the nose in that way. Where you know, again, back then you didn't really think about it. Yeah. But now, as an adult, I kind of look back and go, "Oh, this was not subtle at all." <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We've had Jana Spenson on, and even she has said we probably would have written a lot of like those type of jokes differently. Like she has said that. Um, and you know, I always say, but like it is it definitely back then was appreciated to have like, you know, a gay character making gay jokes that weren't like they weren't harmful. You know what I mean? It wasn't like mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't know. Um, yeah, like it didn't it wasn't didn't feel still doesn't feel homophobic. It just feels like, eh, we can do better, but it doesn't feel like actively like homophobic the way a lot of like gay things from back then can feel now. You know what I mean? Um, but so we get uh, Buffy enters with Spike and I did notice this re- this little moment that I didn't notice before. All the potentials are like, ooh, hi, Spike. Like they all have like <laughs> hearts in their eyes. They're like me if Spike walked into the room. <laughs> They're me every time I've interviewed James Marsters on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> and I think, Angelique, you mentioned Andrew comes in talking about Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> and so much. Oh, Andrew. <laughs> it's like so much. <laughs> oh, Andrew and his pop culture references, honestly, give me life. Yeah. <laughs> People feel very torn about them when I have when we talk about Andrew on this podcast. <laughs> but I do like them. I, I think the 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 you know the my I, I name the thing that I do passion of the nerd like I, I I'm all for embracing sort of the nerd stamp and all of that but it, to me there's always that fine line between making fun of someone the joke is that someone has these interests versus their sort of character and and sort of who they are mm-hmm. and one of the things about their early trio stuff is a lot of times the joke feels to me that they are nerds yeah which isn't that. which isn't particularly funny but f- somehow in this i mean for me it's not particularly funny i won't say uh is it's purely subjective of course but uh for me in this season andrew kind of graduates into those that just being about Andrew, like it's not that he's specifically nerdy. It's that he cloaks himself in this identity that he is uh, as a way of avoiding vulnerability and a way of, of keeping mm-hmm. people at a distance or as a, it's performative for him uh, in, in those scenes. And that to me makes it more vulnerable and interesting. Um, I, I really enjoy Andrew in season seven. And I, I, I think it's a, a wonderful turnaround from some of the problems that of the trio in six. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. 
him bringing up these pop culture references are honestly like his way of dealing with the high stress and like being vulnerable, being in a situation, wanting to fit in, not really knowing what to do, dealing with his own guilt. Like I feel like it just feels naturally part of a a, a tick or a quirk that he has in his character. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. I, I can feel Andrew's anxiety. Yeah, like you said, the tick. I can feel that like the word vomit of like not shutting up because you want to be included. You want to be cool with these people, but you're still not quite sure where you stand. You're not quite sure slash you're positive. Some of them hate you. So like you have the nervous word vomit of like never shutting up and always wanting to help or be included. And I can relate to that. Um, yeah, I can identify. <laughs> yeah. He's a weird character in that there is this like need to be included, but he does also want to keep you at a distance. Right. And he, you can see his anxiety kind of spike whenever anybody brings up the bad things that he did. Right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's like the part he's like, don't look at that part, but like, I can, I can be, you know, your friend, you know, I, if you guys let me do something, let you include me, but like, you know, it's, I don't know. It's uncomfortable to watch, but like, (laughs) it just hits too hard. (laughs) He's an interesting low key redemption story in season seven. And I'm more, I'm pro redemption story for sure. uh, It's we, you know, whether you want to quibble about it's successful and compared to other redemption stories, fine. But I just, I really enjoy that. It's there. And it's a fantasy story, you know, like everybody's, almost killed or killed somebody at some point in the show. So yeah. <laughs> also, I just want to say, uh, since we're talking about Andrew, uh, Tom Lank is, uh, I love Tom Lank and yeah. he's a great follow on Twitter and his YouTube channel is full of, uh, hilarious videos and songs that he makes up and they get like 600 views. Mm-hmm. So if we can throw a little, uh, love Tom's way, I think uh, it would make the I world saw- a better place. I am I am like friendly friends with him um, and he follows the podcast and people are always like shook when he interacts with any Andrew content I tweet. Um, and it's always really funny. Like one time he just replied to like a screenshot and was like, should I get highlights again? <laughs> um, he like he 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 gets a kick out of the fact that we're like I post Andrew stuff. Um, yeah, no, he's right. He's really yeah, funny. He's, he, he's, he's a joy. A, a lot like Andrew without the nerdiness. Like he's more of a theater guy than a nerdy guy um but yeah i think he's very fucking funny um so we do get uh buffy goes out to patrol or goes out to train with the girls they do their like potential slayer locator thing um and i do like everything this is a very i really like all of this here in the living room um willow does the spell anya is a scene stealer she is right like Man, they don't give her a lot to do after selfless, but I really do think all of her lines like are the like she'll have these two minute scenes where she like just like eats the whole scene and, and it's fantastic. And she's just <laughs> shitting on Willow's special. Like it stinks, but you know, it's fine. It's pretty. It's pretty. Like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like she has somewhere else to be, but you know, this is yeah. this is the only thing she has to do in Sunday Night Raw. And like, you know, they're just like making fun of the spell. It didn't work. And I actually do like the the quote-unquote reveal that's a fake reveal but like dawn's like i'm gonna go open the door this smells and then like the spell follows and like knocks her against the door i think that is like a it was clever i think yeah right yeah and then so then we cut to the scoobies all like discussing what happened and 
man, like Zach Wright, like every Anya like line in this is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like she she I wrote down a couple of her lines. It's like one second you were a klutzy teenager with fake memories and a history of kleptomania. Suddenly you're a hero, a hero with a much abbreviated lifespan. Like <laughs> And like Willow says, like, oh, I guess that makes sense. Remember that thing that about they share the same blood or whatever? And Anya's like, yeah, I never got that. Like, <laughs> you know, if Anya would have lived, she would still be 25 years later referencing Dawn's kleptomania. You know, <laughs> she will never let that go. <laughs> like, remember that time you stole all that stuff from my shop? I do. <laughs> Dawn, let me check your pockets. Yeah. Um, and I, again, I go back to what you said earlier, Zach. Dawn feels very real here. Like, I like. She's panicking, but it's not like too much. It's just like she's like pacing and she's like, I don't know if I want to tell Buffy. I don't know if she'll be happy. I don't know if I'm happy. Like, I like that Dawn isn't immediately like, yes, I'm a hero, like excited about it. She's more like stressed about it because like, even though technically Buffy wouldn't have to die, it's Faith who would have to die. She's still like, I don't want my sister to die. Like, so I get powers. That was weird. That was a weird little. Yeah, that that, that bit of lore. Yeah, I'm not normally a lore stickler, but that's a pretty big one. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. the power between Faith between Faith and Buffy, and because they bring Faith back in a few episodes. Exactly. It just feels like maybe they forgot for a second. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's fine. It's fine. It's the pickiest of nits, but. It, it definitely came up for me. Wow, I really love that line. Can I keep it now? Yeah. The pickiest of nits. <laughs> that is fantastic. I'm sorry. Not the conversation, but also perfection. Also a very Buffy line, Ian. Yes. Uh, I'm sure that I picked it up either from the Buffy community or from uh, the show itself someplace. So <laughs> by all means. <laughs> so we... Dawn goes upstairs. She does the Dawn thing. Again, we're doing a lot of the Dawn things we've done before, but I think we're doing them better here. We're like, she's like, I gotta go upstairs. She's not she's burning not... a trash can while she's right. jumping out the window, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, she's doing it in a mature way, but she's also like so capable and these people need to realize that. Yes. Because like, didn't the season start with Buffy training Dawn and yeah. now she's just like, I don't know, go to your room, little girl. Like, what is this? <laughs> I don't like that Willow isn't, because Willow normally was a lot more fair about Dawn, and Willow's the one that's like, oh, that's why she's hiding in her room. And I was yeah. like, hello, excuse me. Like, <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of, like, there's a couple of little tropey bits there that uh, are just kind of funny to me. Like, the uh, where the, the justification for why they happen is because the plot needed them to. Right, yeah. To me, the first one is, should we tell Buffy or not tell Buffy? No, you tell Buffy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 you tell Buffy. If they didn't tell Buffy, if they told Buffy, the episode wouldn't happen. And right. the uh, the other one is, you know, the first, er, the early seasons, Buffy um, is the queen of overhearing just amount of inf- information with that she shouldn't in order to get the mm-hmm. wrong impression and leave. I'm thinking of uh, dead man's party when she hears Joyce talking to <laughs> Pat about, uh, uh, you know, now the Buffy's back is some, in some ways it's almost worse. And so she goes upstairs to pack, but she, right. this is the bit where Joyce says she is so happy to have her home and she loves her and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, but Dawn steals that crown. Starting from season five, she is the queen of (laughs) being in the right place at the wrong time to hear just enough information uh, to then go out the window for for whatever reason. I don't know know? why they haven't like nailed that window shut by now. (laughs) 
Because also, like, she is an adult. She could be like, hey, I'm going to go for a walk. And it's like, yeah, I'm you can go out the yeah. front door. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody gives a shit anyway when they're leaving her alone all the time. So, but now, you know, we're worried that she snuck out of her window. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was the one scene where I was like, okay, so we're just going to, that that's what we're going to do. We're going <laughs> to jump through a, a number of windows in this episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh and the the other one was um hearing that there's a vampire locked up at school and going to kill it just the two of you and not going and getting the other scoobies who have at this point years worth of slaying experience on their own just saying screw the just other saying. scoobies don can take the vampire all on her own i had full confidence in in this decision she made <laughs> I I'm going to go and say I fully agree that a lot of things happen just so the plot can move forward <laughs> in this episode. I also say that saying still love the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, absolutely. Absolutely. Everything I ever say comes with the caveat of yeah, it's a lot of fun and I still enjoy myself. Yeah. So who cares? So who cares? <laughs> so what? Who cares? <laughs> um so we get uh but Dawn leaves and she runs into Amanda um, I do think it's they do a lot of like cute, like awkward teens. Like they're just like, hey, how are you? OK, well, I'm going to keep what like they're like because they're not like friends. They know each other. But, you know, and I feel like that's very high school. I could right? see when them you, being good friends, though. Like I could, she could yeah. replace Janice. We never saw Janice <laughs> or whoever those people whoever are. Whoever the hell her episode. friends are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then what is it? Then we go to the bar scene, which I do like. I will say I. I, I I hear I hear your critique of the like I hear your critique, Ian, and I understand it. But like I put, it's a gay bar only with demons. I've been to plenty of gay bars in New York that are the same thing. Like I just <laughs> I felt like yeah, same fucking thing. Um, I do like this scene. I don't know. I I love that we get Clem again. Mm-hmm. We hadn't gotten him all season. It's always nice to see him, and I I like him like being like hey girl and they like hug and i wish they would like, be like neighbors i right? love a clem and buffy friendship <laughs> yes and i i liked that because the one thing angel i do think did a little better uh ian and angelique i don't know if you'll agree with me i think they did a little bit better of showing the gray area of like no there are demons that are just like chill and want to eat snacks and watch tv and not murdering people and buffy didn't always do that so well but with clem they did start to I 100% agree. And I think that's the reason why I got pulled into Angel so quickly. It's because there was a lot of gray area, which gave it a lot of texture and made it a lot of fun to watch. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Buffy's a lot more about um, – I mean, it, it's kind of a difference in their their characters. Buffy's a paragon, um, has right. done no wrong, so forth. And Angel is a redemption story, uh, has done darkness and evil in his past. And so you want to have a lot of stories that kind of reflect that journey uh, on either side of things. Um, but still, you had Whistler in Becoming Part 1 and see, all the way back in Season 2 said uh, – uh, demon. I mean, I'm not a bad guy. You know, <laughs> they they introduce the concept of demons on both sides of the the fight all the way back in that season. So a little bit more with the ambiguity would have been nice for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um. So also, I wanted to point out when so Buffy like has that cute where she like whispers the Clem and he does the Beetlejuice thing. 
when we see all the potentials reacting, Kennedy is the only one who is not really pressed. She's just kind of like, ew. I didn't the notice rest of them that. Are, I, I made sure to look because, you know, I got to stay on the beat of defending <laughs> Kennedy. Um, she's the only one that she looks and is just like, looks like she's like, ew, that's gross. All the rest of them are like covering their mouths or their faces in terror. And she's just like, eh, whatever. Um, I actually would have loved if they s- stayed longer in this demon bar because... I don't know i like that kind of shit and you know i think of like in angel when they go to lauren's bar like i always liked that um and i gotta point out chloe is missing from this episode yeah. i kept thinking wait weren't there more potentials in the previous episode okay. and then i and then i looked and yeah chloe the one who ends up dying in a few episodes she's not in this episode and it's just like not mentioned which is weird because she's in the next one um so yeah so we then get what is it uh so Dawn takes her. Where, where the hell am I, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> so Dawn I'm just glad you brought that up, though. By the way, sorry to jump in. I was like, I'm glad you brought that up because I was like, there seems to be one missing. Cool, right? There, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Dawn is is going with Amanda, and they are now in the high school. So they're looking right. for this vampire that Amanda locked in a classroom, but the doors open. The vampire didn't get out. Like, it's just a trap, I guess, because the vampire's right above. And then, uh, yeah, it's Dawn and Amanda versus the vampire. While we're kind of intercutting with Buffy taking the potentials to this crypt, right? Right, yes. Um, And so we get, like, Buffy, they find a body. They, it's like they find the body, but we see that... Oh, no, not yet. Wait. Okay. <laughs> they so do Dawn find and, a body, yes. Don and Amanda walked into that classroom first, and we see the vampire like kind of like holding himself up by the ceiling. He jumps down, they run away, and then we get Buffy and the potentials in this crypt. The potentials find a body. Buffy's like, it's leftovers, it's he's a vampire now. Um and again, I gotta point this out too. When Buffy starts fighting that vampire, they all like go against the wall. Kennedy goes to fight and Spike grabs her arm to like be like, no, you gotta watch, mm. not fight. Yeah. Um just got I'm gonna every time Kennedy does something like that, I gotta play it you out. Know what? Good. We'll give Kennedy some claps right now. Um I do <laughs> love Spike and Buffy locking them into this in this crib. I thought that was just so cool and really like you're gonna make them face their mortality. Scare the shit out of them, and that'll do it. <laughs> I kept thinking, but like, what if one of them did die? But well, I guess whoops. Buffy. I mean, she told you you was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just like, this feels unethical, but also I get it. Like, because yeah. <laughs> they, and they do beat the, va- I mean, it's like four of them. Uh, they do beat the vampire. All the while, yeah, all the while, Dawn is like, like you mentioned earlier, Angelique, this, this wonderful moment of Buffy yeah. doing the, you know, Speaking, just speaking. She did a lot of speaking in this season. Uh, she's speaking, and, and we see Dawn, you know, doing everything she's saying. She's, she's, you know, good at thinking and knowing her surroundings and her environment. And, like, Dawn's got this. She Like, she's got it. Yeah, she does. Mm-hmm. And I do like seeing that. Like, you know, before they enter the, the classroom, Amanda even says, like, you're a monster expert, too. Like, Amanda's <laughs> impressed with her. Um, I, I wanted to know everyone's thoughts on... So when the vampire... Dawn is throwing things. I love that, like, we just assume one of those things was, like, acid that was sitting in this, like, black uh, science lab in a high school because she throws it and, like, burns him a little bit. Um, And she slips. She's like, Amanda, help. And Amanda says, I can't. She's too scared. Mm -hmm. I get a little, like, about that. 
like not writing wise because i get that that's realistic but i don't know have that piss anyone off because i didn't love that pissed me off gonna be real <laughs> it's like you convince this girl to come into a high school with you where some random biker vampire is now attacking her in their science lab where they probably you know did baking soda volcanoes when they were you know earlier in the year and you're just gonna crouch in the co- okay cool but you you brought her here though yeah. <laughs> amanda like, I, we, we didn't I, forget amanda that you smashed a boy's face into the pavement on your, you know, our first introduction to you, you have some fight in you. So this didn't really make sense to me. I, I think I'm projecting my own context onto that. Uh, it, it very much reminds me of the scene in Saving Private Ryan where Upham freezes on the stairs in the climax of the the episode. If I'm the only one, who, I, I, don't, I don't know if we've all seen it, but there's a scene during the major battle at the end where up on one of the soldiers, uh, it freezes on the steps while another soldier is fighting a German in, in the room up top. And he cannot bring himself, he's, uh, cannot bring himself to move and get up there and, and save his buddy. Um, and just that, I, that reality of the, the battle terror and the fear and all of that, um, it, it, it works it, that, that little bit of it worked fine for me. All right. That's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, again, like, I don't think it's, it's not bad writing cause it does, track that a you know 15 year old might be too scared to fight a literal monster but um and i i do like that like the specific thing buffy says is it takes just one vampire to kill you literally as like dawn is fighting this one vampire and i don't think we've really seen right zach i don't think like up until this point we hadn't really seen dawn by herself fighting yeah i guess i, I, I guess not so. i mean she did stake that vampire on halloween right but she was the Buffy was there at that time, right? Yeah. Like fighting in the background. Uh, yeah. yeah. So like, then we, yeah, we get the moment of like Buffy being like the thing you think you have, like you always think you have me. And then she just drops the stake and shuts the door. Uh, then we get, we get this qu- quick cut to the summer's house. And again, Anya's sealed, stealing the whole scene. <laughs> Cause Anya's like, should I kick the door down? It'd be funny. Besides she's been sulking in there for hours. Like I love like Anya has probably babysat Dawn the most. Yeah. And she's the one who's always like completely over her shit immediately. And you can always tell when Anya is just so bored. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I love. You're right. It's like that she's fucking bored. And that's why I love that she's just like, let's just do this. Oh, who cares? Um, and they open the door, they find Dawn is gone. Anya goes, crap, double crap. Uh Willow says she can do a locator spell, but they have to find Buffy. Cut back to Dawn. They're running. Um and the, or no, they don't, they're not running yet because the bringers, as they love to do, jump through the windows in this classroom. Dawn's able to knock the vampire off of her. Um, and she realizes they're not there for her. Uh, they're there for Amanda. Um, which kind of is like Dawn realizes either the spell was wrong or she just realizes that she is not a potential, right? That's, I think she at that point realizes that she's not. She uses the burner to like create a big flame. They get out. Uh, and, you know, someone said earlier uh, at the top of the episode that Dawn does pass the crown without freaking out, without being upset. It's just like, she's like, you thought I was special. You are special. You need to have this fight. Um, what did we all think about that moment? Uh, did we like it? I didn't like it. You didn't? <laughs> I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. Uh, oh, and not because, not for a reason where people were like, oh, I get it. I didn't like it because I was like, 
I love the fact that she did it. I love the fact that she was like being supportive and everybody gets in this knockdown drag out fight in the middle of a high school hallway because where else would you have a knockdown drag out fight against vampires? Um, I felt like it just felt so much like a concession speech. <laughs> All right. Like yeah. she ended up being the winner up again, <laughs> um, which, which leads you to the end. Like it gets you to the resolution to the end of the episode, which is fine. But like in that moment, I was just like, I feel so bad for you and I get what you're doing, but you also gave it up so easily. <laughs> it's also, it's a weird area where the, the, the symbols or the subtext kind of, to me, kind of seem to over override the actual fiction. But by that I mean, you know, Xander and the rest of the Scoobies, say pre Magic Willow, were fighting uh, the the undead and the supernatural for years. Like <laughs> the the fact that she's not a potential doesn't mean this isn't still her fight. That mm-hmm. she isn't still in the fight with them. And on yeah. the other hand, like Buffy had a watcher. Buffy had a tra- she had a watcher in. I mean, the movie is hinted at in the first season, right. and uh, then she had Giles, and she had a trainer, and so forth. Just being, and she was the Slayer, let alone being a potential. So uh, it just it gets it it gets a little muddled and confusing for me. Where like from the fiction standpoint, I don't see a reason why Dawn needs to pass the crown of anything. I get that it's the metaphor of it, that she's uh, passing power or acknowledging the power of someone else and, uh, and so forth. On the other hand, the potential herself has no training. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> and Dawn does. Dawn's been trained by Buffy uh, yeah. since the start of the season. So it just gets a little confused. It had uh, been a really nice way for them to do it if – Instead of her just giving her this stick and saying, you go fight the bad guys, um, do this with me. You can do this with me. We can take this guy down. Here, I can teach you what I know, and we can do this, right? Like, Dawn can – she's capable of being a teacher if she's not a potential. Like, she knows – she has knowledge, you know? She can pass that knowledge along rather than just like a crown. That's And if if anything, the whole point of the season and and like – Buffy passing power to the rest of the potentials. Are you ready to be strong? And sort of her being cast out in empty places for whatever you think of that scene. (laughs) The purpose of it is sort of her captaining, her being um, taking control and power uh, is inappropriate. They are a team. They are together. They are a group. They, they are the Scoobies. They fight as, you know, as one in, uh, at the end of uh, season four, they uh, they l- became parts of Buffy to beat Adam. You know, um, everyone has different abilities, different powers, so forth. But it's just the it's just a very strange moment to me that that doesn't quite play. You all make fair points. <laughs> you do. Um, so then Buffy and Spike and the Scoobies arrive. They kind of help. Um, Amanda does slay the vampire. And she she does give this like very silly speech where she's like, if you're into the drugs, that's not my deal. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we cut to the Summer's house and we get the potentials excitedly recapping their fights. Um, again, I would be so mad if I were Dawn and I was listening to the story 
hiring Amanda be like, and I just knew to do this. I'd be like, motherfucker, I told you to do it. I know. Where is my credit? Where is (laughs) my credit? (laughs) (laughs) Like if they should have had like Dawn be like a little petty with Amanda for the rest of the season, because I know I would have been. I would have been like, no, no, no. She would have died in that scene. By that vampire, if I hadn't been there, so I broke the flagpole because I don't right. think it was Amanda who was cowering in the corner and saying she couldn't help me with that vampire. <laughs> no, tell that part of the story, Amanda. Don't yeah. don't leave things out. Major <laughs> um, details, right? <laughs> uh, so we get Buffy like is like, "Oh, Dawn, are you okay?" Which I do think this kind of encapsulates like. And I go back and forth, and I'd be curious with everyone else here. I I think that the reason Buffy's just like, are you okay? And Dawn says, like, she's about to hit the bucks. And Buffy's like, sure. Buffy has faith in Dawn at this point. I do think she should remember she is a teenage teenager and, like, maybe just check in a little bit more. So sometimes I'm like, oh, you're being kind of a dick. But then other times I'm like, no, it's because she's secure in who Dawn is. I don't know. What did everyone else think? Like, I don't know that she needed the speech that Xander, like Buffy wouldn't have thought she needed the speech Xander gives. No, I, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. The, the, the strange thing about the, this season, I mean, we've, I think we've kind of danced around like one of the struggles of the season is that there are a lot of characters to the point where some of them are relegated to a nationality or an ethnicity or whatever. Like they are that character, the Scottish character is wearing uh, uh, plaid and speaking in a Scottish accent that I don't know if it's a bad Scottish accent or I've heard so many Scottish accents that I can't pick out a good one anymore. No, it's terrible. Um, it's yeah. it's terrible and inconsistent. And I just want to chime in and say, no, 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 you're right. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. But it, so it, that story of um, Buffy passing on her legacy or passing on information to future generations and, and having children, whatever, they already kind of had that with Dawn. And I think this scene kind of points to where it was unnecessary. I think what you're feeling is they come out of grave in season six and Buffy says, I don't want to save you from the world. I want to show it to you, which is a powerful line because she's talking about sharing her uh, information about the world, sharing her power, so forth. And then with the potential story that kind of gets curtailed, and um, that scene is Buffy kind of going, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. And Xander gets that moment instead of Buffy to sort of notice and acknowledge what Dawn did. Because I was definitely trying to think of how I, like, I, I mean, Zach and I do this a lot with My Bloody Judy, like how we would rewrite it, like if we could do the rewrite. And I was like, I feel like I would want Buffy to deliver her, deliver a speech to Dawn about like how important Dawn is even though she's not the like superhero character, but also it does make more sense that Xander would deliver it because he's the like quote unquote normal one who doesn't have any superpowers. Um, yeah, I don't know. Zach, what did you think? I just, I do think that nothing is perfect in life. And I think that as much as they are sisters and love each other and do have this closeness, Buffy is still very disconnected from Dawn. And I don't think that ever really went away i think she was there was always still a little bit of disconnect there um yeah and i think this is like one of those examples is that buffy also has like a short attention span right so she changed yes. on uh, you know the first episode but then you know she has other things to worry about now and i, I think i agree with you that she doesn't feel like she needs to worry about yeah. dawn 
even though like it would have been really helpful for Don to have gotten an encouraging word from Buffy or something. Um, but there is still that little bit of disconnect that Buffy doesn't really pick up on that ever. You know, she doesn't really pick up that Don does kind of need, you know, a little bit of encouragement. Yeah. Angelique, how did give me your thoughts on this too? Oh, this speechifying that Xander did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we kind of talked about this, this idea. And I say this to someone who wrote down in my notes uh, as I was going through this episode to talk about it. Coach Buffy. All right. <laughs> cool. Um, but there's this moment where Xander has this opportunity to grow up a little bit like that. I, we, we've kind of talked about this idea that we're getting more adults out of the, out of the Scoobies and out of Buffy mm-hmm. and dealing more adult problems and more adult processing, like even in the relationship with Spike, uh, and Buffy. And I think Xander, um, besides terribly needing a date, uh, throughout this entire <laughs> season, that poor man. Hey, he gets um, a Leah later. <laughs> or not a Leah. Ashanti, yes, Ashanti, no, yes. yes. Uh, I was like, wow, okay, word. <laughs> Talk about guest stars. Yeah. Um, and I think at this moment, he does what Buffy's character probably wouldn't do, right? And he comes from a perspective that I don't think any of the, well, I don't, it's not even I don't think, none other, uh, no other of the characters could yeah. say, what Xander could say because Xander's, you know, not to downplay it, Xander's human, right? right? But, you know, he's a guy who's had to battle between constantly putting his life at risk, but not having any superpowers, not being able to transform into anything, not being able to cast a spell, you know, not being able to summon anything. And he sees the look on her face in mm-hmm. a way where while everybody else is preoccupied with, you know, keeping people alive, he's like, yeah, but don't downplay how important you are Yeah, yeah. Um, to the larger scheme. Because I think that's one of the underlying themes of the show that I really love. And it's kind of been touched on in little ways throughout this entire conversation is, is this idea that, yeah, Buffy's dope. And Buffy can do a lot of stuff and have strength and speed and flip over things and jump into cement, you know. <laughs> everything. <laughs> yeah. everything. Um, she literally can do everything um, without, br- without breaking things. But. Buffy is so interesting and textured and I think beloved by so many is because it's not just Buffy. It's her friends. It is Xander and Willow and Anya and Dawn or even the potentials. Right. And in this case, in this season, Spike, like she wouldn't still be here. And it's not just Giles. It's everyone else who are kind of part of the ecosystem part of the Scoobies, part of the team that make it kind of work. And so for Xander, just to kind of remind her, your role in this is just as important. It's kind of essential. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, Xander has had his fair share of moments and episodes that also tackle his own feelings of, like, inadequacy in this group, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's kind of speaking from the Zeppo in that. That's, yeah. uh, that's the <laughs> yeah. one I always specifically think of is that's his – that was his episode to grapple with his unimportance and that, um, that that's not actually tied to your specialness. Isn't tied to 
any particular physical characteristic or magical characteristic or any of that, but to your heart, uh, which is his symbolic p- position on the show anyway. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, I definitely get Zeppo vibes when he's talking to her. Do you think yeah. Andrew's like around the corner listening to this and 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 applying it to himself? He's like, yes, I am important. I am taking special. notes and crying. <laughs> I'm special too. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a it's a wonderful speech. I, I know it's a fan favorite. There's I I I actually hate when I I mean Ian, you talked about your your uh, Kennedy position. I admire that. Anyone who comes like uh, when I do group stuff. Uh, and someone comes along defending Riley. I love that. I want that experience. I want that other opinion because I don't enjoy having a negative experience of a character or a show or, or right. whatever. I, I want joy. I want to have that fun. So I'm always looking for that. But um, I wish that the speech stopped with what Xander said. Okay. Everything Xander says is marvelous. It's wonderful. Um, it's very kind. It reminds me of the scene in um, The Freshman when Buffy is faltering and <clears throat> she runs into Xander in the yeah. bar and Xander says, you're my hero. Yeah. Um, it's He's the heart. He's the one who can bolster everyone up and, and help people um, find their strength. And I love that aspect to his character. But when the moment she says, maybe that's your power, you see things, I laughed i die a little bit inside <laughs> because that has not aged particularly well i mean we, i don't know if you want to go down the 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 xander route i, I do don't, not <laughs> yeah, i don't either i don't either i don't enjoy that aspect of things but it's one of the areas we talked about when things age and some right. things that were progressive at the time uh are not necessarily now but we can look, look back and acknowledge them and so forth and there are aspects of xander i really love a lot of the things that are an issue now are ways that are just just weren't acknowledged yeah on the show while it was airing things he said inappropriate jokes things he wasn't right. taken to task for held responsible for whatever and so uh, her him being a seer i mean even something as simple as the lie him telling buffy that willow said kick his ass so that mm-hmm. buffy would go kill uh, angel already breaks that mm-hmm. for me you know, if yeah. they had, if she had said anything else about heart or strength or I, anything else, I would really uh, love that speech. But it's just such a uh, yeah. I, I I don't like it. We I'm just sorry. we just need that eye patch foreshadowing, man. <laughs> that's, that's it. I don't like negativity, including my own. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> no, but I, I mean that's right. I really feel like they had to add that seer in so that. You know, in four or five episodes when Caleb sure. pokes his eyeball out, yeah. Caleb can say, they say you see everything. Well, here you go. I'm going to poke your eye out. Um, and <sighs> yeah, I is, do. Is that the reason that exists? I mean, even if they said you can see people's strength, right. you know, like uh, something that <laughs> actually referenced the thing that Xander's really good at on the show. Um, or or there's, some, there's something in your eyes, Xander. Cut episode. <laughs> you know, created <laughs> In uh, when she comes back in uh, uh, Dead Man's Party, when she comes back from L.A., the first thing she says to Xander when she picks up uh, the steak is, "This is all." Of, uh, she, she's standing over him and says, "Don't you know not to play with these? You could lose an eye." You know, like there are <laughs> yeah. hints of, of Xander's uh, uh, eye thing all the way back. It's just, it just is that that, and maybe it's just because I'm tired of fans telling me about that. Mo- I don't know. I don't know exactly <laughs> what it is, but I just that. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, you mean you don't love that when people tell you about the thing that <laughs> that's not your favorite thing on the internet? Um, <laughs> but uh, so I, I will say you, and again, I don't want to go down this road, but like even what you said, like Xander gives that really good speech in the freshman and then immediately undercuts it with like, sometimes I think about what Buffy does alone at night. And it's like, yeah, what is Buffy wearing? It. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, 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 you gave his, a good speech. And then. Mm-hmm. The, but I mean, the writing excuses him in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Like there's the bit in Restless where he makes a masturbation joke inside of Willow's dream. Right. You know, uh, the uh, uh, Willow has wandered out of the shot. It's her dream. Her perspective has moved on. And it's a great masturbation joke. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not saying it's not funny. I'm just saying like just little bits and pieces right. like that build up over the course of the the right. series. And now for a quick break. Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies. So much so they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies by Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERSLAYERFEST, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies, y'all. And now for a fashion roundup of potential, we have season seven costume designer Matt Van Dyne. Hello, Matt. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. So, what do you got for us for uh, potential? Well, potential, potential, potential. Again, here we are. All of these people. I just have a you know a big note across the top of my yellow legal pad as I'm watching the show. I went, "Whoa, big episode." Which it is. I mean, it's like all of these characters. I mean, there are so many people in the cast that yeah. it's it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty large. And again, you know, uh, I know I've talked about them before. You know, the the stunts, the stunt people. Yeah. Um, a lot of you know consideration for that with you know the potentials. So, um, but what I uh, the certain little things that stood out for me is. Uh, I noticed like with Rona, I thought, well, now where did her clothing come from? And I have a couple of notes that uh, took me back to uh, a store on Melrose Boulevard uh, that was called Booth. I don't even remember the store, but uh, some of her uh, tops came from there. And then uh, a store that is still in business, which I've used so many times over the years for so many different things is California surplus Mart, which is in Hollywood. It's an old 
old establishment on the corner okay. of Santa Monica and Vine. All right. And uh, it's uh, actually near Paramount Studios more than anything. It's not even near where we were uh, shooting Buffy over in Santa huh. Monica. But, uh, but they have, you know, like Carhartt uh, jackets and uh, a lot of Dickies uh, pants and uh, things like okay. that, bib overalls. Um, that's where we got uh, a lot of her um, wardrobe for Rona. The one potential, okay. and the <laughs> I have a note that says two bev overalls, fifty two dollars and ninety eight cents each. You know, so that <laughs> we bought those at California Surplus Mart, and then you know, just to show you the the dichotomy, you know, the bringers, the 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 people that yeah. would come in, you know, and read the rooms and the lines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know, I thought this was just made me laugh. Uh, the gloves, leather tan gloves for the bringers, they came from Barney's, <laughs> <laughs> which is no longer in business, but Barney's <laughs> is a pretty upscale store, or was. Yeah. And those gloves were $95 a piece, or $95 Holy a piece. shit. Yeah. But I guess we couldn't find black leather gloves <laughs> any <place> <laughs> but, or, or tan leather gloves, excuse me. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, I just thought, well, that's a funny, funny note. And, um, <laughs> and then um, I love that they were fashionable. <laughs> yeah, and but from also from the same store, we uh, bought Spike uh, black black leather pants that they were the in-house brand co-op, and they were from Barney's, and they were one hundred and ninety-five dollars. And Buffy, uh, we bought her some seven jeans. She liked seven jeans. I do remember that. But then I'm looking at okay. the price of the jeans, and I'm thinking, well, now today that's not really as expensive. Uh, but back then it was $95 for a pair of jeans, you know, so, yeah, but that was interesting. And, uh, then also a little black top for her from, uh, Saks that was $110, but we had multiples of those, you know, that was a joie. She loved that brand. Mm -hmm. And Vince, we had a black top, multiples of those, uh, again, you know, back to those, those stunt people, you know, three, three different, uh, extra multiple tops, you know, for the stunt work. And um, let's see. For now, Terry, when Terry, I think about this time, Terry really is transitioning out. I know her her credit is on that show, and it, is, mm. it should be because a lot of the wardrobe. But I was, pro, I'm well, I'm fairly certain I was doing most of it by that time, most yeah. of the show, because as I said, she was leaving. So, um, yeah. uh, so, but I, I noticed that we did have. A couple pair of Ugg boots, uh, which uh, Terry loved to buy uh, footwear. So <laughs> these were for Anya and Willow. And they were, I, it looks like the same boot. I'm not sure. Maybe these were just for comfort for in between scenes. I, yeah. I imagine they were because, you know, we wouldn't normally buy the same boot for, um, or the same footwear for the two different characters. And they were $164 right. a piece. But that was just a, to make the, the actors comfortable in between, you know, something comfortable that they could wear. And then I noticed, um, which I love the character Vi. I always, Felicia Day, I just, what a joy she was. <laughs> she just had a look that I just loved to play with. And that, I think that look was kind of established early on, the multiple colors and uh, rainbow yeah. kind of thing, you know, and all of that. And I have like her dicky pants. Uh, we bought those from macy's actually her dickies we didn't get those probably because of color or whatever they came from 
Macy's uh, rather than California surplus, and they were $38. And we also got Rona, uh, uh, her blue and yellow jacket at Macy's for $14.99. I mean, what a, what a, I don't know what brand that was, but it, <laughs> it didn't cost much, <laughs> that's for sure. And then, you know, one of the things that stood out in that episode to me was the uh, potential Molly and her pink furry jacket. And that brought back memories. When I saw that, I thought, oh, yeah, I remember that. And I, <laughs> really? did, I did find it in my notes. And we had we purchased doubles of it. But it was from a store called Rampage. I don't even know if they're in business anymore. But it was uh, $88 from Rampage. And uh, uh, then the other uh, potentials, I thought, poor Amanda. I can't find any notes of where her wardrobe came from. <laughs> but I think it was just like, but some of it did come from Nordstrom. I did find some of it. You know, it was it was okay. pretty, um, you know, nondescript, as I recall. Mm-hmm. You know, you know her look because of the tone of her character. You know, was kind of like you know she kind of surprises you. You know that she has this in her because her look should reflect the opposite. That you wouldn't think that this girl would you know, right. be able to fight the way she does, you know. So that was, you know, kind of the uh, reverse of, of her look, you know, was that she was, you know, very plain looking and yet, you know, very aggressively, you know, right, geared yeah. to to fight. And uh, then I, I, I noticed uh, Michelle Trachtenberg, Dawn's jacket, and I thought... Oh, I'm so glad. I love that jacket. Yes, that tell jacket. me about it. I know where that came from. I can tell you that. That is uh, a Mark Jacobs because Michelle loved Mark Jacobs. Oh yeah, and uh, it had that detail on it, the shoulders, and um, it came from Nordstrom's, and we bought two of those, and they were two hundred eighty-eight dollars a piece. That's where that Oof. came from. Yes, I. You know, I was thinking I would wear that jacket now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. I know. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, Mark Jacobs, what a very talented designer. And I'm thinking back, this is just something, kind of a side note about Mark Jacobs. And I don't think I've ever mentioned it before, okay. but I, I have a history with Mark Jacobs. And my no. history is, uh, in the beginning of my career, I, I did the television show Entertainment Tonight for many for 10, 10 years almost. And I established a lot of the... Um, the wardrobe supplied to the show for the host. And that was kind of a, an unusual thing at the time, you know, that we had full seasons of clothing from uh, fashion houses. And one of the fashion houses for the men was Perry and later on was Perry Ellis. Now that's where Mark Jacobs was. Uh, about the time I began pulling and buying from them in New York, I'm sure I'm thinking back that's I'm I'm sure I dealt with him several times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was That's funny. That was at the beginning, probably the beginning of his career, I guess. You know, so so when we were youngsters, you know, <laughs> we we were all, you know, somehow, you know, you know, it all crisscrossed somehow. I think you know, right. in the final, you know, if they ever do the life story, you know, or maybe when you die, maybe there's a video or something that <laughs> that that the the gods put together, and they'll go, well, "See, you met this person back there. Your paths crossed. It was all meant to be." But I think of that sometimes <laughs> when I 
when I go through these shows and I go, oh yeah, I know this person from from that show, and we met. Oh, but right. wait, we met you know, many years before that on this show, or, you know, I met them, you know, as I said, like with Mark Jacobs, you know, in a show right, room yeah. in New York, you know, many times I would travel to New York and, and buy clothing, you know, from that's funny. From there. So, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Like how we just kind of, you know, our, our, our paths cross. They really do. When I worked at the museum of sex, he once came in and bought a bunch of, um, we, I mean, they had a lot of like jokey sex stuff. Oh yeah, right. Okay. In the, yeah. the museum gift shop, and uh-huh. he came in, and we had these we had these towels that just said "cum rag" on them, and he bought <laughs> all the ones we had in stock. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he happened to be great. walking by. Oh, that's he saw them in the window. Came in, asked how many we had, and was how like, "I'll take all." How many do you have? How many do you have? Oh, that's <laughs> funny, funny, funny. And it was funny because. It was mostly straight people that worked there, but me uh-huh. and the other uh, gay guy that were working knew it was him because he's uh-huh. very recognizable. And we were like, oh, holy shit, this is Mark Jacobs. And like no one else realized Mark who Jacobs. it was. Yes, Mark Jacobs. Yes. Very talented, very talented person. Very, very talented man. But then oh, and I noticed one other funny thing was, you know, the, the character, the demon Clem, uh, the mm. uh, I, his shirt came from Nordstrom. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. It's like some kind of a plaid shirt. It just came from Nordstrom, yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, well, that kind of fits. You know, he's just kind of an everyday guy, except for he's a demon. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I, and I would imagine, you know, I was looking at the, the uh, vampires. I, I don't, I think we just pulled, you know, a lot of that from stock, you know, what we had. Yeah. You know, for them. And, uh, I really wish I could have found um, uh, Willow's little the the top that was had the spangles in the V neck, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I I haven't found that yet. I may run onto it eventually, but but I, mm-hmm. I thought that looked so pretty on her, and uh, and then of course I I just have to shout out Emma Caulfield. I mean <laughs> that girl. I knew you were gonna. Yeah, that girl. <laughs> I mean, she just. You know, she was a delight to work with and a delight to dress because she's so beautiful, of course. You know, like that that blush colored top, you know, that that's not something that's like easy to wear, you know, but on her yeah. it looked it, it was it was phenomenal. I just thought, wow, she looks fantastic. Every every time I, I rewatch now uh-huh. and I I like look at her and she, I mean, she, I, you're right. She always looks good. I always hear you in my head being like, Oh, I love dressing her. Cause uh, yes, I, I, I just feel like she always looks good in what you put her in. I did. I did love dressing her and, uh, just fun. You know, I just, you could do fun things with her. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I know I have, you know, like more to come about her later, but, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I, it was just a joy to dress her. And, and I looked at my notes too, as I, as I was, you know, watching the episode and I would, you know, write down, uh, you know, I'd write down, oh, you know, like uh, Michelle Trachtenberg. Oh, doesn't that fit beautifully? You know, the, you know, which, uh, you know, it was an outfit. What did she have on a red, reddish turtleneck and low slung jeans is my little note here. But I just thought, oh, look at the fit. Just, you know, her, that little body. She just looks so beautiful. And then uh, Sarah, yeah. the same thing. I mean, uh, again, uh, Sarah... What you know? I, I've been so fortunate. I know I mentioned entertainment tonight before, but I have dressed some really beautiful women in my mm-hmm. career, and I've been so fortunate to have not not just beautiful, but that you know, 
it's the way they wear clothes. And yeah. And Sarah not only wears clothes so beautifully, I thought, I just thought it was just uh, so easy for me to, to dress her, mm-hmm. but also she just photographs so beautifully. I think just yeah, so interesting, you know, not, she is certainly beautiful, but in, in just so many interesting ways to me, you know, just the way she wears her clothes, her um, presence, uh, you know, I just, I, you know, I, I just look at it and think, well, how fortunate I have been. And, uh, and I, and I can look at it now and look backwards and go, um, wow, it was good. It was, it was, it was, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it really was, um, good work, I think, you know, and I think about the production meetings that we would have, which I don't know if anybody ever talks about production meetings, but really long sessions where, you know, the writers, the art director, everybody's at the meeting and, you know, and you take that yellow legal pad with you and you can probably Mm -hmm. fill a whole yellow legal pad with yellow legal pad with notes from uh, what you need to know from that production meeting. It's, there's so many uh, wonderfully creative people that you sit in a circle. It's kind of like, it's kind of like sitting around a campfire. It's kind of funny. (laughs) <laughs> and I do, and I have vivid memories of those meetings, and uh, sometimes they go on a little too long. I would I would think I think well we don't need to ask that question, but <laughs> because somebody would come up with there's that. always one yeah, right exactly. I'd be like okay the meeting's <laughs> almost over, and then I'm like well we don't need to know that. Come on, <laughs> you know ask that later. You know because because my my thought was I need to get out of this meeting and get to work because I see right, what I yeah. have to do. You know, I've got to go buy this, buy that, buy that, buy that, buy that, you know, and make this, make that, make that, run this by this person, meet with that, you know, uh, special effects guy, the makeup person, how are you going to do this, you know, that kind of thing. But, but yeah, those, those production meetings are just, somebody should do it like a, a video of those. I mean, if, if shows like <laughs> this still exist, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, it's basically like pulling together a feature film every week. I mean, that's what it was like. Yeah. You know, it was, it was it was an incredible experience. And, oh man! <laughs> but I do enjoy looking at the shows and thinking, well, it holds up. It, it uh, I mean, as far as you know, some it of the, wards, the wardrobe, I'll think, well, that holds up. That still looks pretty good. It does, and I think the acting also, like the acting and the writing, is all still there. Yes, it is. It is. It is. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I'm very fortunate. So, and I'm fortunate to be here with you and all the fans. So thank you so much. Aww. That's true. Aww. That's true. Well, thank you for doing this. I always appreciate uh, hearing your input on the episodes and I appreciate you uh, recording with us. Oh, I thank you so much. Bye. Talk everybody. to you next time, Matt. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. And uh, so now we're going to give our favorite outfits. Uh, Ian, what's your favorite outfit? Now, is this from the episode <laughs> specifically yes. or yes. from? Okay. <laughs> I, uh, uh, Buffy's work outfit um, as a counselor really reminds me of Cordelia in season three. All right. Um, Cordelia in season three is doing this preppy sweater around the neck kind of thing through the whole episode. She looks so uh, professional and put together and, and all of that. And Buffy, and I love the connection they have as sort of 
Cordy used to be her shadow self. They have that symbolic connection. Before I was yeah. the Slayer, I, I I was don't want to say I'll just say her name rhymes with Spordelia. Uh, with like a, <laughs> you know, I love that connection, and so sort of visually, I was reminded of that. All right, uh, Angelique. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, as someone who is currently wearing a pair of overalls uh, mm. with a shirt over it, uh, I am always going to be Team Morona. Although that sounds very weird, understanding the current. Right. <laughs> social, economic, and health impacts of the word Rona. Uh, it is definitely that uh, blend between that and sporty spice, as I would like to call it, um, <laughs> with the striped socks and the black t-shirt and the plaid skirt, because right. <laughs> why not? I mean, get you a yeah. girl who can do both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zachary? Uh, you know... The, the outfits didn't really stand out to me this episode, but um, I did like Dawn's red shirt at the end. I had to do a double take because I wasn't sure if that was the one she wore in the body if because mm. it looks like it, but um, it's got a little like flap thing, but I, I like that one. I think All she right. See, there. I, I love Dawn's jacket that she wears when she's uh, running through the high school. Like I would wear that jacket now. <laughs> um, so I liked mm. that was my favorite outfit. Uh, favorite scene, Angelique. You know, I got to say, uh, as a person who loves vampires uh, so much and a big Anne Rice fan, uh, it was when they go into the nest and they they close that door on them. Mm. I was like, yep, yep, yeah. this is this is <laughs> ah, perfection. <laughs> uh, Ian? The, the whole fight sequence and the way they uh, intercut it, it has that the 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 layer of her voiceover over the top of them fighting and then cutting back to the potentials fighting and all of that i think is just expertly cut and yeah. very exciting it was really well done uh zachary uh when willow does the spell and it hits dawn and we think that she's the potential yeah uh oh look zach we have the fate that's my like that whole like what comes after that and that, especially the like reference to like, Oh, remember the whole summer's blood and Anya saying, yeah, I never got that. Like all of that, my favorite <laughs> scene. Um, all right. What grade do we give the episode? Ian? I think it's a B. All right. Angelique. I would agree. I think it's a, a good solid B, not a B plus, not a B minus, just good solid B. Yeah. Zach. I'll take your B and I'll raise it a plus. I'm going to give it a B plus. <laughs> <laughs> You're all making me, I'm like, rethinking. don't be mean, Ian. Don't be a grump. <laughs> I, God, I, I had C plus, but I might bump it up to a B now. I don't know. Nice Ooh. average score. I'm like, yeah, I'm like on the like median there. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Zachary, thank you for co-hosting your first Buffy episode of Slayerfest 98. Thank you for um, having me. And it was great talking to you, Ian and Angelique. Y'all are awesome. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. You two yeah. are fantastic guests. Thank you for coming on. Um, Ian, let everyone know where they can find you and find Passion of the Nerd. Uh, I think it's youtube.com slash passion of the nerd. And um, Twitter is Ian Nitram, which is my last name spelled backwards. Ian Martin. Uh, I was wondering what that was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Picking a username is tough. Right. Uh, Angelique, where can everyone find you? Uh, You can find me at Angelique Roche on the Twitters and Angelique Roche on the Instagrams. And AngeliqueRoche.com is my website. I, I make it very easy for everyone. 
Nice. Uh, Zachary, where can everyone find you and find My Bloody Judy? My Bloody Judy is on Slayer Vest 98 podcasting <laughs> platforms. Um, <laughs> YouTube.com slash AZB bonus features. Yeah. And uh, if you like the podcast, you can follow us at SlayerFestX98 on all social media platforms. You can support us on Patreon, where you can get access to uh, me and Zachary do my Nudie Judy, a sex talk video series, uh, my Harley Quinn coverage, and Firefly coverage, and uh, really helps keep the podcast going. is much appreciated. And if you want to follow me, I am at Carlos. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.